everybody, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. I'm Joe. Alright, Joe, well, for all of our listeners that didn't see it, we just had a great guest at SEC, Stingray and Keith Hopkins on the show. They have their own uh, radio show over in Mississippi and Tuscaloosa, and they kind of do the same thing that we did, and really entertaining group of guests, and we talk about all things SEC football, and you can check out one of our old podcasts to see that. Um, before, now we're going to switch over to our SEC and football in general recap show. And Joe, of course, the, the biggest thing that we want to talk about, uh, you know, the biggest news from college football last weekend, and we hinted at it with uh, Stingray and Heath, of course, the firing of Will Muschamp. So, Joe, without me being too cocky, pun intended, I called that before the season, and I hate it for Will Muschamp, but definitely saw it coming. Yeah, it was definitely foreseeable, Dan, and the way the game plan played out, you know, South Carolina's defense could not stop Ole Miss's offense to save their life, and Will Muschamp, you know, is supposed to be a defensive-minded coach, defensive coordinator, so it, it just the writing was on the wall. Now, I wasn't sure he was going to be fired after this past weekend's game, but you felt like his demise was coming this year, probably. And I think it's also just, you know, worsened by the fact that in-state rival Clemson has just continued to dominate. Well, Joe, on that subject, do you think this is going to make it a lot harder for them to get a good coach like a Hugh Freeze, for instance, to come to South Carolina with Dabo and that juggernaut sitting there on the other side of the state? I mean, it does. Um, but at the same time, you know, you could conceivably lose to Clemson and still, you know, go 11-1 and one or 10-2 and two and have some pretty good years. Um, so I, I can still see that being an enticing job. Um, but I will say that there will be some people that that might turn off. Yeah, I think so too. And Joe, now in retrospect, we saw what South Carolina has done for most of this season. Is now their upset win over Auburn the most puzzling outcome in all of college football this season? It's definitely up there. I was trying to think um, earlier of another one that surprised me more, and it's really hard to think of another game. Um, that that seem, does seem like a total anomaly. I mean, it really does because, I mean, you look at what Auburn's done since then, and they they beat the Ole Miss team that beat South Carolina pretty handily. And, of course, they went out there and laid the wood to, to LSU. And, I mean, you know, it just kind of kind of goes with what Gus does. It seems like there's one game every year that you feel like he loses when his team is definitely the superior team. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, the other night, uh, Ole Miss obviously gave up a lot of points, too. And I know that South Carolina and Muschamp and their fans were mad at some of the calls in that game, and I completely you know, understand some of their frustration. There was the play right before halftime where it looked like clearly on the replay, Corral was down, his knee was down, and the officials didn't make the call, and that you know helped Ole Miss get a field goal to end the first half and kind of helped them you know increase their lead there. But Ole Miss's offense, you know, just played spectacular. Um, Elijah Moore has really established himself as not only the best wide receiver in the SEC, but I think right now he's the Blitnikoff Award favorite. Well, that'd be great. I mean, because uh, I don't even know if Treadwell won that when he was at Ole Miss. And that'd be a big feather in their cap and a big thing for recruiting in the future with Ole Miss and really with the continuing of uh, what could be arguably wide receiver U right now. 
I think he's had, if I remember correctly, three 200-plus-yard games this season in seven games, and he's already eclipsed 1,000 yards in seven games. So if he was playing, you know, a normal 12-game schedule, like he could even flirt, you know, with 2,000 conceivably. Well, and one thing, too, like nowadays I feel like there was a long time where he never wanted a receiver that was under six foot two or wasn't really like the guy that can go up and get it and a big-time possession receiver. But you've seen in the last 10 years, I mean, I think starting with Antonio Brown, I think he's the first one we saw that wasn't the biggest guy who went out and just made all the plays very fast. And then, of course, lately you've had what Tyreek Hill did with the Chiefs. And I think we've seen a little bit of the resurgence of the smaller receiver in the NFL. Yeah, we really have. I mean, he's 5'9", 5'10", and it looks like, you know, he's going to be making a lot of money on Sundays. And, you know, out of the receivers they've had the last few years, you wouldn't have thought when he was coming out of high school that he would be, you know, that number one guy that he's really established himself and, and made and made a lot of headlines. All right, Joe. Well, I thought that was a huge win for Ole Miss. Probably one that was kind of a toss-up in a lot of people's opinion. And it ended up being the death knell of uh, Will Muschamp in South Carolina. Joe, as we're sitting here today, who do you think South Carolina is going to hire as their head coach next season? I mean, I think they're going to go after Freeze. Um, another name that I've heard they're going to go after, I still know if there'll be enough money, you know, with the pandemic. I've heard Joe Brady mentioned in that conversation, too. So I think that those will be two of their main targets. It's just a question of, uh, as you alluded to earlier, whether uh, guys like that would take the job with uh, Clemson uh, looming. Yeah, Joe, I don't see Hugh Freeze because personally right now, I think that he can get something better if he just waits one season. Uh, we heard Stingray mention it briefly last uh, episode. I mean, at the end of you know, at the end of this season, Michigan might be available. I don't really see him as a fit at Michigan, but you could have Texas become available next year. Tennessee and Auburn are opportunities there as well. And I think he definitely fits much better in a Tennessee-Auburn-type job or, or maybe even Texas. I could see that working out. But I think that if he holds on and maybe gets liberty to a college football, not playoff, but to a New Year's Six game or finishes the season the way it is, I think he could have a better job in South Carolina. Yeah, the only thing that entices me for his sake about South Carolina is it reminds me a little bit of the Ole Miss job, where it's an SEC job, but it's not, you know, a spectacular job. And so the fact that he was able to win at Ole Miss, you know, to the degree that he did, makes me think he could be intrigued by the South Carolina job. I think so too, Joe. I mean, that that is something that probably would draw him in. He went to a place that doesn't have, like, really huge expectations, and he built a very solid, consistent program slowly. I mean, it was kind of amazing. You look at the first five years he was at Ole Miss, they won one more game each season. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like, really, I mean, you want to talk about seeing progress. You saw, like, the slow climb up the mountain with Hugh Freeze. And if he went to South Carolina, it would be the same kind of situation. Uh, you're going to be in the same state as Clemson. Ole Miss had to play, of course, Alabama every single season, and they had to be um, in the same state as Mississippi State when Dan Mullen really had things rolling. And so, you know, I think that would be a comfortable position for him to be in at a program where you're not burdened with the expectations of an Auburn, an Alabama, an LSU, something like that. 
Yeah, and the thing that does concern me about the Tennessee job for Hugh Freeze is that similar to Clemson, you have to face Alabama every year. And so that would worry me about that one. Yeah, I would, I would worry about that one as well. And, um, um, Joe, here's my betting favorite, at least, you know, maybe not nationally, but in my eyes, I think Billy Napier is going to be your next South Carolina coach. I think he's done a great job at Louisiana Lafayette. He's a saving disciple. Uh, I believe he has some ties to the state of South Carolina. I think he grew up there and maybe coached high school football or something. I remember reading about that. But I think Napier would be a good a good hire. It's maybe not as sexy of a hire as he phrases, but the guy's a great football coach, and you can't argue with what he's done uh, with the Raging Cajuns. No, you definitely cannot. He's been very steady there and helped to grow that program to where it is right now. And that would certainly be a good candidate. Yeah. All right, Joe. Well, um, speaking of uh, jobs that might be open, uh, you know, we keep talking about it week in, week out, but Michigan has really just gone to the toilet this year. Uh, it started off, of course, great beginning of the season. They beat up on a Minnesota team with uh, with Row the Boat, P.J. Fleck. Looked like maybe Harbaugh had a team that could kind of compete in the Big Ten. And then they go out and they lose to an atrocious Michigan State team. They get dominated by a surprisingly good Indiana team. And then, of course, Joe, I mean, we saw what was going to happen last week, but it didn't make it any less upsetting to see a team that basically gave up and just got destroyed by Wisconsin. Yeah, that was really baffling, Dan. Them losing the last three games three weeks in a row after that opening week win, and they looked pretty good that week. And just each week after that, subsequently, it's looked worse each week. And, you know, it just kind of uh, dominoed, snowballed even further against, um, you know, this past weekend with Indiana, or I guess Wisconsin, I mean, um, you know, only scoring 11 points. That's just utterly embarrassing. And you just look at the statistics. Uh, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't throw the ball. Um, the defense struggled. Just there's nothing you could point to that gave them any encouragement. Yeah, and I mean, I think the biggest thing to be upset about if you're a Michigan fan right now, and the most concerning thing is the one thing that Harbaugh has hung his hat on the entire time he's been in Michigan is that he and Don Brown have put together a great defense for the most part since he's been the, the Wolverines head coach. And you look at what's happened the last three weeks, their defense is playing awful. They're completely undisciplined. I mentioned it before on the show. They commit pass interferences, it seems like, almost every other pass play. And, I mean, if you can't have a defense with Harbaugh with his dinosaur offense, then what are you going to have? Yeah, I mean, that, that's why, as we talked about, you know, previous weeks, and we were talking about this before the show when we did the interview with uh, Ethan uh, Stingray, you know, we both think that Jim Harbaugh is an NFL coach, first and foremost, and I think we both expect him to be gone after this season. And I've already been hearing reports that, if uh, Coach Nagy continues to kind of struggle with a very good Bears roster, that Harbaugh could be a favorite to land the Chicago Bears job. I think that would be an awesome fit. I would love to see Jim Harbaugh as the Bears head coach. I mean, they, they tend to target guys who have big personalities and guys that even though Harbaugh was a quarterback in college and in the NFL, you kind of look at him as more of a defensive head coach. Uh, kind of make me think of the of Ditka in the 80s, you know, just that kind of brash personality that puts defense first. And I kind of think he fits in with the Chicago environment. I would love to see that happen. 
Well, it's also similar from the quarterback position. You think about when he took over in San Francisco with Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith had some years where he was benched as the quarterback for five or six years. And, you know, he wasn't playing that much. And everybody was criticizing him as being a very uh, underwhelming number one pick. And then Harbaugh takes over and he leads the way as the quarterback, you know, for a playoff team. And so I could actually see Harbaugh rejuvenating even the career of Trubisky potentially and helping them make it to the playoffs. That's an interesting correlation right there because Trubisky shows flashes of brilliance. He's a good runner. And sometimes he throws some really pinpoint passes, but then other times you see him, he is a terrible NFL quarterback. So it'd be kind of interesting to see if he could come in and maybe uh, work on quarter, work on Trubisky the way he did with Alex Smith. And he's also a similar quarterback to Kaepernick, too, you know, with the dual threat ability. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, someone who is not struggling the quarterback position right now is Kyle Trask in Florida. Uh, Joe, right now, uh, I know Mac Jones is also up there in the Heisman, uh, you know, ethos. But I really think that Trask is my front runner to win the Heisman right now. I mean, he went out and played a very good Arkansas defense and put up six more touchdowns. And right now, this Florida offense looks unstoppable with him at the helm. And, you know, you kind of wish you could have gotten to see a full season of Trask like we did with Joe Burrow last year to see if maybe he could have even broken Burrow's records. Yeah, I mean, that's the disappointing thing about this season. You don't have as many games being played. You also have a disproportionate number of games being played by different conferences. You know, some conferences playing as few as seven games uh, this season. And so you really can't look at the numbers as much collectively but you can study them and see with Trask having a 28-8-3 touchdown-interception ratio. And while I did think previously that Mac Jones was the early frontrunner for the Heisman, his touchdown-interception ratio I think is right now at like 16-2, 15-2, And so Trask has got a huge lead there in that regard. It's just the way he's playing, putting up big numbers, I think he has a great chance to win it. If I had to consider some other candidates besides Mac Jones, I would also throw in Justin Fields and also Zach Wilson with BYU because they're going to play a 12-game schedule, and so that's going to really give him the opportunity to continue to put up big numbers. Yeah, I think Wilson's going to be a guy that gets invited. I mean, BYU's had such a great season. If they finish this thing off, go undefeated, put themselves on fringe consideration for a college football playoff spot, I think he's got a good story. I mean, you know, he's a long-haired dude, good-looking. You mentioned, uh, of course, he's got a fairly attractive mother that also helps with that. And uh, I think that people like him. They like the BYU program. So I think that uh, he would definitely have a chance to, to get in there. And But right now, I definitely think it's trash to lose. Are there any, like, players from the skill position you think you could be in the conversation, like a running back maybe? You know, the saddest thing, Joe, is I really think that Jalen Waddell was a guy who would have had a chance to get up there. He was someone that, you know, when we had Jim Dunaway on, he and I talked about this. I thought he was someone that for his return ability and what he was doing as a receiver could have been someone that could have been invited. But looking at it right now, I mean, it, it's hard for me to see a running back getting in it. I don't think Najee Harris is he's good, but I don't think he's putting up enough numbers to really get noticed. Uh, usually there's a Wisconsin running back you can think about. But it doesn't seem like any of the really great teams this year 
have a running back that's worthy of being mentioned. I feel like if you had a full season, maybe Travis Etienne could have gotten to go just because of like more of like a reflection on what he's done for the four years he's been at Clemson. But I don't I don't really see a skill position guy getting invited this year. Etienne, he's got ten touchdowns on the year, but you're right, they're not going to play as many games, and it's going to be hard, you know, to measure those numbers up against some of the quarterbacks. So yeah, it's kind of you know a season where I mean, actually, I would say that that the player that's been putting up the best numbers. I talked about Elijah Moore earlier, but you know, Ole Miss isn't winning enough games, and they're not going to consider wide receivers. So I, I feel like you know, if I had to pick the finalists today, I would say Trask, Matt Jones, and probably Zach Wilson. Yeah. I think so too, Joe. Um, you know, one thing that that I wanted to to, to highlight for coming up, um, you know, looking at what we've had this year is just all these great group of five teams we have right now. Of course, we mentioned BYU's doing so good. I know they're technically an independent and not a group of five, but they're kind of looked at as a group of five program. Uh, Coastal Carolina's undefeated, looking very good. I talked about Billy Napier earlier with. Louisiana Lafayette, and then of course there's Cincinnati with Luke Fickle. Um, Joe, which one of these teams do you think is going to be the one that is closest to getting into the college football playoff, and who will we ultimately consider the best group of five team at the end of the season? I, mean, I feel like uh, BYU is going to be the, the front runner. Um, I think that Cincinnati also has a good chance. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Fickle. Um, being looked at, you know, for strong consideration for some of these openings in, a, um, you know, power five conferences. But BYU, for me, they, they've kind of been the team that I keep um, I keep paying attention to the most. You know, the only sad thing about this, Joe, is that BYU just hasn't had some, a lot of opportunities to really show how great they are. They beat up on, on Boise State, and that was a really impressive win. Of course, they just utterly demolished Navy in that opening, opening game. But the sad thing is, because of COVID, they had games against real Power 5 teams that people care about, and those got canceled. And I think if you've gotten to see BYU take on some of the teams they had on their schedule, I think they may have even had a couple SEC teams on their schedule, that we really would have gotten to see what they are, and they think they definitely would have made the college football playoff had they gone undefeated. But it reminds me a lot of how, you know, you talk about the group of five teams putting up headlines this year. It was the same way as it is in football. It was the same way in college basketball back in spring. We, I felt like we had more teams than ever from non, you know, mid-major conferences. Like, you know, Gonzaga was ranked number one at the time. You had San Diego State. You had Dayton. I mean, there were like three or four, you know, non-Power 5 conference teams that you thought had a legitimate shot to win the national championship. And so that was really a disappointment that we did not have March Madness play to see what they could have done. And, but, you know, hopefully we can see what some of these uh, um, non-power, these group of five teams can do in college football. That's right, Joe. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some of the big games that we have coming up this weekend, including uh, Auburn, Tennessee. And then, of course, uh, Alabama is going to be taking on um, you know, Kentucky. Got to be an interesting game and then recap some of the ones we had from uh, last week. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.